everybody. <laughs> uh, this is Literary Disco, and this is Julia and Todd. Hi, Todd. Hey, Julia. Um, you guys know Todd. He's like a famous writer, and you know me. I'm not the usual host of this podcast. <laughs> Normally. Well, you're, you're one of the hosts of the podcast. Well, you're I mean, not- like the introductory right. speaker. That would be our good friend, Ryder Strong, who is off on a camping trip. He just emailed us in the classic Ryder form, like, hey, I'm going into the woods for three weeks. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> He's the only person I know who, for vacation, is like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to disconnect everything. I'm going to go into the woods. I'm going to live like a mountain man. With my baby. I mean, th- with my baby and my <laughs> wife. But I'm, I'm going to do it within 20 miles of my house. <laughs> So, yeah, we don't have any information on his whereabouts or what he's doing. Uh, So you guys are stuck with just Todd and I today, and we are going to be talking about summer reading. Yeah, Um, but we should note, incidentally, though, that if you spot Ryder, let him know that we're thinking about him and we're mm -hmm. worried about him and that he should call home. Yeah, Uh, and he's probably going to look something like Bigfoot. He's been gone for, I think, three hours now, so... (laughs) He's already totally overgrown. Uh, so I just got back from vacation myself. Todd is about to go on vacation. So we are going to get down and dirty for the second year in a row on what we read on vacation, why, and what makes a good vacation read or a summer read. Um, and, and the weird thing, though, of course, is that it's the second year in a row we've had to do it without Ryder. Is it? I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah. It, it's like Ryder goes on a vision quest. Comes back all, oh, man, I got to give up all my possessions, and I'm going to grow my hair long, and, you know, it's just like what Neruda said, and you and I were like, hey, we did a show while you were gone. Yeah, and I'm like, (laughs) I may have read a romance novel or something I'm really embarrassed about. It's summertime. (laughs) It is summertime. Um, So we're going to start, I'm really excited to ask you about this, Um, this very special, unusual year for us, because Todd just put out... A new book, which is a New York Times bestseller, which is so exciting. I mean, I really can't say how cool that is. I, where are all your tweets and messages, guys? Haven't you noticed? Yeah, uh, what, what is up with that? I have not been getting the literary disco love that I should. Yeah. I mean, people, all this time I've been living inside of your heads, in your little earbuds, did you realize I was going to be a New York Times bestselling author? No. Now's the chance. Now's the chance to get on board. But here's, here's yeah. the irony, though, Julia. Once again, so as as listeners know, and as Julia knows, big Stephen King fan, and for the last two years, Stephen King has been salting my game like no one's business. He won the Hammett Prize when I was up for the Hammett Prize. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't beat me for the Thriller of the Year award in um, in. Uh, Belgium, though he was up for it, um, so that was good. But he was, uh, as my competition, I was very concerned. Instead, Nick Pizzolatto won. But the week that my new book, which I co-wrote with uh, Brad Meltzer, who's an absolutely wonderful guy, the same week that our, our book came out, The House of Secrets, Stephen King's new book, The End of Watch, came out. And I won't, revo- re- I won't reveal the total sales of our book to his book, Except to say that it, like he sold like five times as many books as it us. It was not close. It was not close. <laughs> it, was, it was not close. 
He was number one, and when we were number uh, and we were number six on the uh, New York Times that week, uh, the first week that it came out. And so, like, when I just saw, oh, he's one and I'm six, that's awesome. And then I actually saw the raw numbers, and I was like, Stephen King, man, I he, uh, all props, all props. <laughs> and his son was on the bestseller list at the same time. Oh, here's oh. the cool thing, though. Oh my God, yeah. Julia. Here's the super cool thing. So. The day that we're recording this today is um, Thursday, June 30th, and I just found out yesterday um, Mm -hmm. that my book is, uh, this week it's number 16 on the New York Times bestseller list, but but my brother's new book uh, with the writer Janet Ivanovich, which came out last Tuesday, is number one on the New York (gasps) Times bestseller list for e-books. And number three overall, and number eight in fiction, but we're we're both on the New York Times bestseller list together. Um, at the same time, it's like on the same list. It's the coolest thing ever. That it's, is that is the coolest thing ever. It However, is. I'm thinking if there's two Kings and two Goldbergs on the list, this really sounds like a Clinton Bush dynasty <laughs> type deal, and I'm just not sure it's fair. It just putting isn't. it out there. It probably is. Well, I'm voting for the Bernie Sanders of that list, well, whoever it is. <laughs> well, I think the Bernie Sanders of that list will be in our summer reading. Um, but we'll get to that in a second. So, yeah, I've had, I've had this incredible um, month. Uh, Brad and I did a bunch of events together. Um, I got to meet a ton of his fans. I got to shake a lot of hands. I got to meet... Um, like, I, didn't, I didn't know sort of what the average fan of Brad Meltzer was going to be. And sort of what our crossover would be. But I met this guy at a, our book signing in San Diego, and we were having just a very nice, normal conversation about um, books and about conspiracy theories, because one of the big parts of, um, of the House of Secrets is this large sort of conspiracy. And we were having this normal conversation, and, and then he said, what's your, uh, what's your take on crisis actors? Mm. And I said... What do you mean, crisis actors? He's like, you know, the people that put on these shootings. Oh my god! <laughs> and I said, you mean like the like the these people who actually kill people? He's like, no, 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 the crisis actors. This is none of that happened. It's all fake. <sighs> and I was like, well, best wishes. Best Hope wishes the is book. the bitchiest sign off. So good for you. <laughs> But Brad's fans wow. were, were absolutely awesome, and I got to see a lot of my own fans uh, out there on the road, too, and I got to got to do some really cool stuff and meet some cool people. I got to meet Adam Carolla, which was pretty cool. That was fun. Cool. Uh, that was uh, a little dream from my teenage years. I, <laughs> he was very nice. Um, but the, the best thing, so as usual, um, Wendy and I got to L.A. for uh, the book signing, and which writer came to, and we got to have dinner with the writer that night. So he is still alive. But we we went first to dinner at the Apple Pan, which is the best burger place in all of Los Angeles. This seems like a tangent. It's a little bit of a tangent. I'm just saying what a what a charmed month I had. Ah, New York we, Times we, bestseller and Apple Pan. I've and never Apple Pan. experienced either of those things. So I walk into the Apple Pan. Wendy and I walk in. And there's a very large African-American gentleman standing there at the door waiting for his burgers as well. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, that's a tall dude. And Wendy says, hello. And the man says, hello, back to her. 
and everything just goes on. And I'm like, huh, why, why would Wendy, who never says hello to anyone, make oh it boy. a point to say hello to this person? And so we're standing there quietly, and they call out James um, to pick up his, his food. And I realize, oh, my God, that's L.A. Laker legend James Worthy standing there. Ooh. And, I'm and like, Wendy recognized him? Wendy recognized him. And for some reason, I was all up in my, oh, my God, I'm a New York Times bestselling author uh, head and didn't recognize him right away. And then when I did, I had the following conversation with him. Are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. It's not as good as my Property Brothers thing, but it's pretty good. Here we go. Okay. I said, hey, James. And he said, hey, man. Mm-hmm. Is that it? Yeah. And scene? And I shook his hand. Okay. All right. Wow, this is not good, but, um, you know, it's okay. It's all right. He was so, probably just as intimidated by you as that, you were. Okay. That was my thinking. But that, I think mm-hmm. that let me know it was going to be a, a good month. Big game James gave me a, a, a salutation. So wow, while awesome. I was off doing that, you were in the Arctic. Yes. So I will tell you guys a little bit about my trip, and then I think we can transition to what I read on my trip. I read a couple books, and then we'll just talk about all our summer reading stuff. Just so you guys know the thesis of this podcast. (laughs) This is why Ryder is in charge of this stuff, because Ryder doesn't feel like he needs to drag the the listeners along. Okay, so um, the last episode we recorded was right before I went away, and um, I took a ship up the coast of western Norway, up through the fjords up there, and then up to the archipelago of Svalbard, which any really dorky YA nerds will be freaking out because that's where the Golden Compass, His Dark Materials series takes place, which is Ah, the best YA series ever. Okay. So looking for polar bears, reindeer, Arctic fox. Um, I saw a lot of walruses, which was the coolest thing ever. What, what about the ship? What was the ship like? The ship was, I mean, it was like a modern, I mean, it started in, it's not an icebreaker ship, but it's like an ice class ship. So it can like move through pack ice and just ice flows really gracefully. And it uh, there was about 120-ish people on this ship. And yeah, it was just fantastic. And Svalbard itself is super interesting. Now I, I really want to learn everything about it and live there because there's basically only one city there on the archipelago, and it's it's really strange. Half the year it's light all all day, and then the other half it's dark all day. It has a oh light center. It's if you've ever heard of the International Seed Vault, it's in this one yeah, town. Yeah, I saw your picture of it. So d- yeah, do you get to go inside there? Or you just stand there and no look way. at it. No way. That's like asking me, like, can I just, like, look at the nuclear code button? <laughs> no. You can look at the door. It's literally a door into a mountain. Right. It looks, like, very intensely from Lord of the Rings or something. Um, <laughs> so it was it was fascinating. It was so cool. And it was really, honestly, the longest vacation. I've taken a really long time. It was two and a half weeks, so... Wow. It was so much fun. Yeah. So what was the uh, coolest thing you saw? The coolest thing that I saw was we were in these Zodiacs, which are like inflatable 
boats with a little motor on them and you can just zip around. So they, there's like eight people in this little raft. Um, and we found and rode alongside for like an hour and a half of pod of 30 to 40 beluga whales. Oh my God. It was, I was freaking out. I love whales and I love belugas and to see them in their natural environment. Weren't you scared that they were, would tip you? Belugas are not large. Okay. They're very small. They're like 15 to 20 feet long. Yeah, but there's 30 of them. Yeah, but they're they're fine. They're not they're, they're not out to tip you. Okay? <laughs> they're not they're like blackfish motherfucker. <laughs> no. no, I did. Oh, I can't wait to tell Ryder this. I did sp- see a sperm whale for 1 second. But sperm whales are really, really hard to see and follow because it's you can't be a sperm whale tourist. And I don't know how people ever fucking killed them because <laughs> they come up to the surface, they breathe, they take like 20 breaths, which you can see as spouts, and then they dive straight down for up to like two or three hours and they'll swim in any direction. So you see them and you're like, there it is. And then boom, they're down. So mm. that, that was pretty cool. But it did not sink our ship. OK, that's good. Yeah. And um, what about, like, uh, the most beautiful thing? What was the most beautiful thing you saw, other than the whales? I think the ice, which is receding very quickly, as we all know, hopefully, except for your conspiracy theorist friends. Yeah. Um, What about those crisis actors with the ice? (laughs) That's just, like, some dude in an ice cube. (laughs) Uh, That's funny. Uh, it is so beautiful, and it's there's so many different colors. You it, like the beauty of just seeing an almost all white landscape. It looks like a desert. I mean, it actually, is a desert. Mm. There's not a lot of snowfall, um, but like Antarctica is the same way. It's just pure white, and then gray, and then the ice has a lot of blue in it. So it looks really neat. And then the shapes as they like melt down over the season are just they're just beautiful. It is so beautiful. And was there a moment where you were standing there and you were like, that Shackleton, he had a pretty good idea. Well, <laughs> Shackleton, Shackleton South Pole, so he was Antarctica. But I don't really know although, the difference. I don't so. know if he, he ever went to Arctic, but really this is going to transition really, really well into, wait, let's just pause for your geographic knowledge and probably for most of our listeners because I've had to explain this so many times. I'm going to give you a quiz, okay? Okay. I'm ready. North Pole, Arctic or Antarctic? No idea. <laughs> what? <laughs> I shouldn't have phrased this as a quiz. Okay. Let me phrase it like this. Antarctica. I believe, in, I, I believe the North Pole is the Arctic. Correct. And, and Antarctica is at the bottom. That's the right. Antarctica. Right. Gotcha. So, uh... Polar bears, Arctic or Antarctic, north or south? North. Right. Penguins, north, south, or both? South. Right. You're doing great. Okay. You're doing great. So the an easy way to remember it is that Arctic actually means, is derived from the root of bear, because that's where... Uh, First of all, that's where the bears are. And second of all, that's where the Big and Little Dipper are, which are, you know, Ursa Ursa, Major and Minor. minor. So all the bear shit is up north. Ant means without. So Antarctica means without bears. And it's at the bottom. 
I had no idea that that's what it meant. Yeah. So no, no idea all at all. Here. Wow. But I uh, I just recently had to learn all about Ursa Major and Ursa Minor for something that was in my book, in fact. And that's a fucked up story, by the way. For those of you not familiar with how Ursa became uh, in the sky, the bear, it's a it's it's one of the worst myths ever. Uh, yeah, it is. It is messed up. It's a super rapey god myth. <laughs> so. To answer your question, your Shackleton question, because this yes. is what's so fascinating. So I decided, of course, I bring like eight books or something. You guys advised me to bring five. I ended up bringing eight. I ended up <laughs> reading two, of course. So I'm like <laughs> hauling around all these books. But the one that I spent the most time reading. Oh, yeah. Literally I mean, to the edge of the classic. earth. Yeah. To the edge of the earth, you got a big old bindle of books. <laughs> so the one I ended up reading for most of the time was this thousand page novel called The Terror, all about these two ships, the Terror and the Erebus, that got stranded in the North Pole, not in the North Pole, looking for the Northwest Passage, so oh, up where I was. Right. And the thing about, here's another Arctic Antarctic fact that I think everyone should know, the North Pole has no land under it. It's just ice. Um, Antarctica is actually a continent. So... When folks were looking for the Northwest Passage, like, sometimes they would go and it would be, like, all melty and they'd be like, oh, easy, cool, we made it, woo. And then sometimes the ice would just never unfreeze. So they would just, like, drive around looking for the passage and it wasn't there and they would get stuck and all die. So this novel was, it was really good. Um, It was about, it was historical fiction and I never usually read that, but the uh, the everyone on these two ships just disappeared. There were so many search parties sent for them. This is real life, um, mm. and no one ever found these like 150 people. So no, the novel just creepy. goes through all <laughs> all the ways they probably died. So like scurvy. Why the, why the fuck would you read that when you're on a boat up there? <laughs> I know, that's, I know. that's crazy. I was like like every day, and I wake up and be like, oh my god, Greg, did you know? That when this was happening, they had just invented canned foods, but they didn't know how to seal them properly. So, like, how, a bunch of people were like poisoned. Oh, uh, botulism. Yeah. So <laughs> it was it was so gruesome. It was like all about like murder and poisoning and scurvy and like polar bears eating you. And uh, it was it was great. But it took me almost the whole trip to read. It was very long. God. So I recommend <laughs> it. The terror. But I always do that. I always end up. Oh, and then of course you know. They all ended up eating each other too. So oh, th- so there's a nice little cannibal aspect too. Yeah. Uh, for my summer reading, I love a little man on man eating. That's uh, <laughs> that's a perennial. <laughs> I read and I read so many books and see so many movies that end up in cannibalism that Greg will not watch movies with me anymore. He's like, <laughs> if there ends up being people eating people, then I'll be so mad at you. And it, it happens more often than you think, you guys. It's, it's a universal what? truth. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a universal truth. Not that love is love, but that eventually no. you people will have to eat, eat a people. man. Oh God, that's <sighs> disgusting. Uh. Yeah. Well, what's so, your so well, yeah? Tell us about like your a, reading. Sounds like a great trip. Are, it was. Are you writing something about it for someone? Are you? Did you yes. record stuff to put out onto the onto the podcastian world or anything? Did I did record recording? a little bit of sound, um, and I have been writing some things. So hopefully it'll all come together. But it still feels like I just got back. So I gotta yeah, do, you, I gotta do it. Yeah, you must be tired. 
Um, So I'm actually going on vacation uh, tomorrow. My wife, Wendy, and I are leaving for a week uh, to Sedona, where we often go in the summertime. Um, And then later this summer, we're going to go up to the San Francisco Bay Area for a few days. And then, oh, this is so cool. I was just telling Ryder this when I saw him. In August, this is so cool, Julia. In August, I'm going for a week to FBI sleepaway camp in Wisconsin. What? That's not real. <laughs> it is That's real. It's not real. It's this thing called the Riders Police Academy and Shut it's up. it's held up it's held up in uh, outside Green Bay, Wisconsin. And it's held at this like tactical training center outside of Green Bay and it's cops, FBI, DEA, ATF, um there's shooting and um, uh, and like attacking building training and driving training <laughs> and um, and then like one on one meetings with people. So, for instance, some of the guests are like guys who are deep cover in crime families in New York, which, you know, that's sure. something I have a vested interest in or the, oh, there's going to be a whole uh, uh, discussion about the making of a murder trial with people from. That county, Wapong County, are going to be there talking about it. Um, There's a tour of the federal penitentiary. Uh, (laughs) There's all, I mean, it's it's like four days of the most awesome stuff ever. I have so many questions. Okay, so who runs this and why? Uh, It is run by a uh, writer that I know. Well, he's actually a cop, uh, a detective named Lee Laughlin. And... um, he, I guess he's been running for several years, and he's got a um, a lot of friends in all these different areas that had, you know, come to him for advice. And he thought, well, I'm going to put on this academy, basically. And so he's been doing it for several years, and it's really popular. Uh, but he does it for writers, basically. But everyone that comes there to teach are all professionals from, you know, the various government agencies and um, – and like lawyers and shot callers in the Asian mafia and all, all kinds of stuff. This is so crazy. I can't wait. I I'm so I'm so jacked to go. And I think I might have convinced uh Ryder and Shiloh to come too. Of course. So. Why would they say no? <laughs> Why would anyone say no to that? I, I can't wait. I can't wait. And um I'm I'm gonna do a uh a, I don't remember the exact name of it, but it's like you are chasing um, a uh, a uh, assailant through a building and live action firing and figuring out like what angles you should take. I'm doing that thing. I'm uh, I'm I'm having a sit down. I'm sure with a bunch of people in organized crime task force from around the country. I can't wait. It's so fucking cool. Wow. So I'm doing that. So that's my, I'm basically taking three vacations this summer. Um, so I've got a lot of reading to do. Um, but uh, right now, I have a stack of books that I'm just taking with me to uh, to Sedona for the next week. Um, but I got a bunch of them. So here's the one I'm, there's two that I'm super excited about to start with. Um, the first one is Mongrels by Stephen Graham Jones. Mm. And I'm holding it up for, for uh, Julia to see. <laughs> Um, so Stephen Graham Jones, you guys might remember, came on the show and talked to us about uh, what might be the most disgusting book I've ever read. Yes, um, Girl Next Door. The most, Girl Next Door. 
but Mongrels is his new novel. Stephen and I are friends. Uh, we work together at UC Riverside, and um, this is this is the book of the first book of his, I think, really in in a while with a big major press that's getting huge notices all over the country. Yeah, I've seen um, it around too. It, it's everywhere. Um, I'm going to read you the uh, the interior copy. He was born an outsider, like the rest of his family. Poor yet resilient, he lives in the shadows with his Aunt Libby and Uncle Darren, folk who stubbornly make their way in a society that does not understand or want them. They are mongrels, mixed blood, neither this or that. The boy at the center of mongrels must decide if he belongs on the road with his aunt and uncle or if he fits with the people on the other side of the tracks. The thing about the boy is that he is a werewolf. Um, so this is a modern day werewolf novel. Um, cool. it's been compared to the catcher in the rye, uh, meet, meets the werewolf. So it's a, a coming of age novel. Um, but if I know Stephen Graham Jones and I do, I know it's going to be dark. It's going to be funny. It's going to be weird. It's probably going to be a little bit sad. Um, but there's no other writer in the world like Stephen Graham Jones. Um, you know, he, he uses a, uh, Words in ways that other people don't. Um, I'm just o- opening up the book randomly. I'm about 100 pages in right now. But on the on page 143, he says, I was burritoed in my blankets facing away from the door when Libby opened it. Burritoed. That's a, yep. that's a really good verb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow, that sounds awesome. I am always... Yeah. Uh, I'm going to transition that to my next book on my list, and then we'll go back to you because... Yep. This is, I'm always on the lookout for, like, the next monster or horror thing. Like, I'm pretty over vampires, as I hope everyone is. And I, I just feel like no one has done werewolves really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's so cool and exciting. But another thing that I thought I was over until now was zombies. And then the other day, I just picked up um, at my favorite bookstore, Three Lives and Company in New York, uh, Colson Whitehead's Zone One, which is... Mm-hmm. Uh, his zombie novel, and it is so freaking good. Let me just read you. This is from, like, page two. So, um, God, he's just such a good writer. Now, reminder, this is a zombie novel. So there's all these, like, what I absolutely love about this passage is there's all these coded zombie words that just get you tense for that, even though this is a flashback to normal times. Mm -hmm. Okay, so here we go. Um... The family camera... Okay, so he's basically saying, like, his parents, they don't do digital stuff, okay? So, his parents were holdouts in an age of digital multiplicity, raking the soil in lonesome areas of resistance. A coffee machine that didn't tell time, dictionaries made out of paper, a camera that only took pictures. The family camera did not transmit their coordinates to an orbiting satellite. It did not allow them to book airfare to beach resorts with close access to rainforest via courtesy shuttle. There was no prospect of video, high def, or otherwise. The camera was so backward that every lurching specimen his father enlisted from the passerby was able to operate at sans hassle, no matter the depth of cow-eyed vacancy in their tourist faces or local wretchedness inverting their spines. His family posed on the museum steps or beneath the brilliant marquee with the posters screaming over their left shoulders, always the same composition. The boy stood in the middle, his parents' hands dead on his shoulders year after year. 
He didn't smile in every picture, only the percentage called for the photo album. Oh, man. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. That is amazing. I was just like, he is describing the most mundane, suburban, boring thing, and he has coded in every single zombie Everything. Every one of them. Yeah. Yeah. And that is page one. That is page one. (laughs) That's page one of the novel? Yes, that's page one. You got a way to go. <laughs> so I, well, I mean, I've, I've read further, but I, I was right. just instantly like, oh man, are zombies cool? So I'm really excited. I'm about halfway through and that's like my, like, I'm chewing through this, through this hot summer week. I'll definitely read on the beach this weekend. And you know, the, the thing about like beach reads, which is weird, is normally we expect something less than what we read sitting in a big chair in a room, right? Like you just mm-hmm. want something that entertains you and holds your attention, but isn't going to necessarily change your life. But it sounds like Colson Whitehead could change your life. Yeah, it's well, that's my I mean, isn't this every real book nerd's quest? It's like you want something that's that readable and suspenseful, but also really, really good at the same time. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, and that's I guess that's like I was when I was looking at the New York Times bestseller list not long ago. <laughs> just um, checking for my own just, name over and over seeing, obsessively. Just seeing who was there and of course finding myself there. Um I was looking at it with a renewed interest, I should I should say. And the books that were on there, you know, uh, it's all well, not all. It's it's a lot of escapist fare. It's a lot of crime and mystery fiction um, and a little bit of horror, uh, some slight genre stuff. Like when Joe Hill's book, The Fireman, came out, um, that was right there in the in the bestseller list. Um, and zombies, you know, that's that's the, the thing that we want. But this sounds like it could be um, it could be literature on top of everything else. And I guess, you know, there's that weird fine line between is literature only literature because it doesn't sell as well as a commercial book, you know? Like, what what makes something literature and what makes something consume well, pop culture? I think what, you're, what you were saying about Stephen's book is the same as how I feel about this book, which is like, wow, it's actually using language really creatively right. and getting to something really insidious. And so that to me, that's that's what makes it quality. I think when we say literature, we mean like, is it quality? Is it able to be analyzed or is it just, you know, trucking along to the next plot twist? Right. Yeah. Well, similarly, my next summer read that I'm super excited about and this book comes out um, on July 5th. But I, I acquired a an advanced copy because I'm the kind of person who knows people. Uh, is Underground Airlines by Ben H. Winters. And fans of the show from the get-go will remember my total abject love for Ben H. Winters' novel, The Last Policeman, which Uh I thought was the best crime novel of the year when it came out in, I think it was 2012, 2013, something like that. And then he wrote um, two additional books in the Last Policeman series that were excellent, Countdown City um, was uh, was the second one, and the world of, and World of Trouble was the third. It, it was great. It was just an amazing trilogy of crime novels about a guy solving crimes um, at the end of the world, a meteor hurtling towards Earth, and he's still out there solving crime. So this is his first book since completing that trilogy, and I had no idea what it was going to be about. I, I knew that he had another book coming out, and then I saw actually his editor talking about the book online, and 
let me just give you the blurb here. Uh, it is the present day and the world as we know it, smartphones, social networking, and Happy Meals. Save for one thing, the Civil War never occurred. A gifted, young, yeah, <laughs> a gifted young black man calling himself Victor has struck a bargain with federal law enforcement, working as a bounty hunter for the U.S. Marshals Service. He's got plenty of work. In this version of America, slavery continues in four states, the hard four. On the trail of a runaway known as Jackdaw, Victor arrives in Indianapolis knowing that something isn't right, isn't right with the case file, with his work, and with the country itself. Oh, so my he, God. That is the coolest premise ever. <laughs> ever. 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 What a premise. I know. Whoa. I can't wait to read it. Um, and some of the folks on the back of the book, um, it's, it's, it's got all these great pre-pub, pre-pub blurbs from bookstores. And this one from the Mysterious Bookshop in New York um, really sold it to me. Uh, Underground Airlines is an ingenious, ingenious speculative thriller wrapped around the core of our nation's history of institutional racism. While that may sound bizarre to some, Winters pulls it off with ease, crafting a novel that is both fantastic and scarily believable at the same time. I think this is going to be the big book of the summer. That is crazy. It touches on everything. I can't wait to read it. That's awesome. Oh, my God, I'm so jealous. Okay, my next one. All right. Is we are just reading rainbowing it up here. Okay. Um, I actually Me, already Meanwhile, read... if if Ryder were here, he'd be like, I'm reading some Jack London. This is mine is even pulpier. This is the pulpiest one yet. I've, okay. Um, so I was sent this by a publicist. So that's as cool as I get, guys. Um, but it is she sent it to me and she was like, Oh, it's Hitchcock's Rebecca meets uh, The Shining. And I was like, okay, good. I like those two things. And, you know, they always say this meets this. But um, it's this really interesting book called Security by Gina Wolsdorf. Have you heard of it yet, Todd? No. So it ended up being a little lighter than I thought it would be. But it had it has some really, really cool twists. It's very cinematic. But it's about a... It's got that, like, really good thriller claustrophobia because it's about a hotel that is, like, perfectly secure and has security cameras everywhere. And they're a murder, basically, like, a slasher-style murderer enters the building in the night and starts picking off the staff. And then you pretty slowly realize that the perspective, because of all these security cameras, is not what you think it is. So I can't go... The the plot twists are, like the only really great thing about this book, so I can't really say anything more, but if you like a book that has a couple of twists in it, like, if you liked Gone Girl, mm-hmm. I think you will like this book. But it's also okay. like a bloody horror stabby book. So it's fun. <laughs> it's fun, is my point. A um, bloody horror stabby book. <laughs> and she does, she does this really cool thing. So here's something I can tell you. She does this really cool thing where you suddenly realize that, like, each scene is seen through particular cameras. So sometimes, like, two characters will have a conversation then walk away from each other, and she literally splits the page in two or three and just, like, follows each camera. So you see this simultaneous action just as you would in, like, a cool 70s movie where they, like, literally split 
the screen. So it, oh, it's really cool. cool. It's very creative and it's very interesting. And I read it in like probably a day and a half. So if you're looking for that kind of book, you will like this. Security. I have I have a companion piece to that book. Cool. Um, this is an amazing nonfiction book Ooh. that um, I'm about halfway through, and I'm also taking with me to my vacation. It's called Thieves of State: Why Corruption Threatens Global Security by Sarah Shays. It won the Los Angeles Times Book Prize for Current Interest Nonfiction, and it looks at the levels of corruption in world governments and how it all feeds into a larger sense of unsecurity in the world. So everything from militant extremism, extremism, uh, Boko Haram, revolutions, um, and it, it connects Protestant Reformation to the Arab Spring. Um, I mean, it, wow, it essentially awesome. looks, it, yeah, it essentially looks at every bad thing that's going on in the world and attempts to tie the threads together. And the threads are, you know, widespread corruption of top officials. That it's, it's very rarely about something as simple as religion. It's often about um, just people trying to fleece the world. Um, and this, she's an amazing writer. She was an, an NPR correspondent on defense and uh, social entrepreneurship she spent 10 years in Afghanistan. Um, she's an associate at the Carnegie Endowment and the author of The Punishment of Virtue. And this book is, it feeds into my worst fears. Like, my, my general worst fear is that we're all fucked. <laughs> you know, that's, that, broad. <laughs> that's broad. That's <laughs> broad. But, like, uh, like you know, I, I feel like there's a good chance we're all being set up to be killed in some horrible way. And this book just, you know, outlines all of it. Um, it's just, it's an important book, but it's also entertaining. And she weaves it all together extraordinarily well, at least through the first 135 pages that I've read. Um, but it's also a lot of first-person reporting. Yeah, I mean, it's, just, it's just an amazing book that will make you not sleep at night. That's really... um, so that's Thieves of State, Why Corruption Threatens Global Security. I um, feel like we're having a really depressing summer. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Jesus. Yes. Ah, oh, it's the worst. Okay, how many more books do you have? I've got, I've got two more I want to mention. How many more books okay. do you have? I can do two more. All right. Okay. So on that note, I don't have a lot to say about this book, but you just reminded me that I bought a book, a nonfiction book that was one of the best of last year that I hadn't heard of at all. And um, very related to everything we've been talking about, called Ghetto Side. Have you read this book? No, I haven't heard okay. of it. Okay. It's called Ghetto Side, A True Story of Murder in America. It was a New York Times bestseller last year by Jill Leovi. Oh, um, oh the, for the LA Times writer. Yes, I have heard of it. Yeah. Yes. So basically it starts with a single uh, murder in, I think, LA, actually. Yeah, it's in um, LA. Yeah, here we go. On a warm spring evening in South Los Angeles, a young man is shot and killed on a sidewalk minutes away from his home. One of the thousands of black Americans murdered that year. His assailant runs down the street, jumps in an SUV, and vanishes, hoping to join the scores of killers in American cities who are never arrested for their crimes. And then it's assigned to a detective, and I think, I have not read a page of this. I was just very excited about it. Um, it's going to basically, exactly as you say, draw this out into a larger picture by following this one detective trying to solve this one 
killing. So one, I'm really excited about it. This one simple killing, basically. I mean, yep. th- that's the thing that I think we um, we lose with the cycle of news is that the drama and importance of one person's death is overwhelmed by the fact that the next day, 42 people are killed in a bombing in Istanbul or, right. um, you know, someone shoots up a nightclub um, or whatever. And we forget that every single death that happens, there's a concentric circle that ripples out from it. And mm-hmm. it goes to people, it goes to families, it goes to law enforcement, it goes to society in general. And it's, you know, people are all victims of something horrible and it doesn't happen randomly, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. So that's, that is, that's pretty fucking amazing. That, I think that's a good, good, good choice. Thank you. My next book, so I have, to, I have to admit a little bit of bias here. So this next book was written by... <laughs> no. Um, you should all go buy that, though. I don't know if you've heard. It's New York Times bestseller, The House of Secrets, by Brad Meltzer and Todd Goldberg. Um, this book was written by a former student of mine, and she worked on it with me as a student. And then it was published just uh, a couple weeks ago by, as happenstance would have it, uh, the same folks who published my novel Gangsterland, uh, Counterpoint Press. Cool. And that is the novel Grace by Natasha Dion, um, which got a review in the New York Times last week, that is the sort of review that makes a career. So I'm just going to read you the first paragraph of this, re- of this review. With her debut novel, Grace, Natasha Dayan has announced herself beautifully and distinctively. Her emotional range spans several octaves. She writes with her nerves, generating to terrific suspense. And her style is so visual, it plays tricks on the imagination. Did I just watch that scene, or did I read it? Miss Dion is not mm-hmm. merely another new author to watch. She has delivered something whole and to be reckoned with right now. Like, that's the opening cool. of the review. Um, yeah. But it's, even if I didn't know her um, and hadn't read the book in its infancy, I would still want to read this book. Um, the novel Grace, it takes place um, post-Civil War, 1840s in the South, and a... Uh, a woman named uh, Grace, is, or I'm not, not named Grace, um, a woman named Naomi um, is um, murdered, and her child, Josie, um, grows up, a black woman named Naomi is murdered. Um, her child, Josie, grows up, all the while having the ghost of her mother watching her as she tries to live free in the post-Civil War South as a mixed-race woman. Um, mm. It's an amazing, um, intergenerational, sweeping, romantic—not uh, in the in the sexual way or the love way, but romantic in the in the the lush way of of writing. Um, eviscerating look at post Civil War South and about what it meant to be a woman. Um, it, it's it, it's almost indescribable the beauty of this novel, um, and. You're going to be hearing about it, I think, come awards season. It's that kind of book. Cool. Um, so Grace by Natasha Dion. Um, and apparently my phone's beeping. Um, <laughs> I, I recommend it highly. And then my last book I wanted to talk about, just to mock Julia. I don't know if you've heard, Julia, but Richard Russo has a new novel out. It's called, <laughs> it's called Everybody's Fool. It's a sequel to Nobody's Fool, and it concerns very sad people living in a mill town in the north of mm. America. 
Sounds like you'll love it. I can't wait. It's like 800 pages long. I plan to read it uh, as soon as I possibly can. Wow, wow. Not a surprise. Uh, Classic. So that, uh, so I have one, you know what, I'm going to save it for a future episode because I'm not done yet. Well, that reminds me that we have our 100th episode coming up. Yes. This is episode 99. So we have not quite decided what to do yet, but it's going to be good. It's going to be great. It's going to be perfect. It's going to be the biggest episode. It's going to be the best episode. It's going to be surprising and moving, and it's probably just going to be a regular episode. But <laughs> no. you'll be surprised. If- <laughs> no, we're going to do something different. I don't know what we're going to do, but it's going to be different. I've, writers' suggestions were like, oh, let's um, let's read like some collected poetry by someone no one's ever heard of, and then let's talk about it quietly. And I was like... That's not what he said. <laughs> I was like, let's have a fan on the show. I, If you want to be on the show... I would love to have a fan on the show. All right, show. so here's what we should do. We should hold a little contest. The, oh... Here's the contest. We are totally making this decision without Ryder. He is not going to be happy with us. Well, we don't need to actually uh, adhere to it, but, uh, you know, we can try it. So Okay, here, let's try here's, it. Here, here's the contest. Um, write to us in 500 words or less <laughs> why wow. you should be, why you should be selected as our guest fan on the show. Can I lay down um, some rules here? Yeah, lay down Just some like rules. some guidelines. Like, you're going to have to enforce these yourselves. But if you're like, I could be a crazy person, just don't apply. If you think you're, like, insane, right. don't apply. Um, you also have to have the ability to do Google Hangouts and record yourself because that's how we record. Those are the two right. rules. If you want to get on the show because you want to sort of – Figure out where exactly Ryder lives or have access to him. That would not be a good reason. You will be disqualified. (laughs) We will will Google you. We will probably do a background check. Yeah, we will Google you. Yeah. Yeah, we will for sure we'll Google you. But this is fun. This is cool. Maybe we'll have a couple different people on. Why not? And I feel like uh, we yeah. can also do we can also do a lunch. I feel like someone on the East Coast can have lunch with you and record the conversation. Someone on the West Coast can have lunch with me and Ryder, and we'll record our conversation while we eat lunch. I feel like those are things we could also do. Wow, Todd, those are big promises. <laughs> um, I mean, I would be up for it. I just don't know if we can arrange that in the necessary time. But if you are interested in that. Include it in your 500 words or less. Yeah, if you'd like to have lunch with us somewhere, with Julia in Hartford, with me uh, somewhere in the greater Southern California region, um, you know, let us know, and we'll see what we can do. Also suggest what, what kind of food we'd eat. That's, that's another option for this, this essay that you're going to write. If you can guess where I want to eat lunch in Hartford, you will win. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have like 20 favorite restaurants, but if you pick one of them, I'll be like, you know what you're talking about. So, (laughs) but I I have a history of being successfully stalked by uh, our fans. So that's uh, true. I've I've heard this. I've heard this. (laughs) Oh, God, I just remembered something. So the person 
who had successfully stalked Julia somewhere and then saw me at AWP and then we picked them to win a prize. I never sent them a prize. I deleted your text accidentally and I don't know your address. I have a prize for you. I know this is vague. Todd, get your shit together. (laughs) (laughs) That was the most convoluted. We've done 99 episodes. This this person, this person talked to me in April. It was in April. So person from April. As long as it's April 2016, you're fine. (laughs) Well, I think that that about does it for our summer books. We got a lot more. There's there's a bunch of great new books that are coming out. Um, I should also mention that um, uh, if you have a favorite book of the summer or if you're enjoying something, tweet at us. Put it on our Facebook page. Let us know what you're enjoying, and maybe we will read it on episode 101. Yeah, and if you – I just want to say, if you can't for some reason apply to be one of our guests or even if you, like, don't make it or whatever, please send us questions and talking points. We love hearing from you guys about what you want to know about the publishing world or us or Todd's favorite tacos or whatever. Um, Please don't make it that. And we should we should note the the email address to send your five hundred word or less essays is literarydisco at gmail dot com. So feel free to send it to us. Um, I think now typically we say um, literary disco is produced and saved every week by Tucker Ives. Thank you, Tucker. I'm Todd Goldberg. I'm that's Julie, Julie Pastel. We miss you, Ryder. And somewhere out in the wild is Ryder. Go Strong. find him in the woods. <laughs> Play that distinctive music, Tucker. 